Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. Well, no doubt many of you have heard of Marie Kondo and her instructions that we should only keep those items which spark joy and the rest should go into the bin. Uh, Well, inspired by by her, I thought uh, we might think today, uh, to start off with, of people who spark joy instead of things that spark joy. Who are the people in your life who spark joy? And then if, if you don't think of, like, if you're the guy person you're sitting next to doesn't come up, don't throw them into the bin. Uh, that, that, that's not the, what we're going for here. We're simply trying to uh, think about people who you are incredibly thankful for. People who, you know, have helped you grow as your journey has gone along. People who have taught you wise lessons, who have been there at the best of times and the worst of times. People maybe who you've seen grow as you've invested in them, who have outshone you and outgrown you and uh, who are doing great things uh, in their field uh, or for the Lord uh, because you've helped them along the way. There are many people, I hope, that come to mind when you think of people who, who spark joy, who you, you are so thankful to God for. And for Paul, the people in the church of Thessalonica were such, uh, was one such group of people, people that he was just so thankful to God for them and for their encouragement. Well, uh, we are going to spend uh, some time uh, in the lead-up to Christmas thinking about this church in Thessalonica. And uh, uh, as we do that, it's important to get our heads around the context. What was going on? Why did Paul write this letter? What was the occasion for it? We know from verse 1, of course, that Paul was the one who wrote it with his offsiders. Uh, And uh, we know that it was written to the church in Thessalonica. But there's more that we know than just what Paul reveals in chapter 1, verse 1. Because we know from history... Uh, that Thessalonica was a, was a significant place, a big town, around 200,000 people some 2,000 years ago, and a place that today is still there in Greece uh, and has uh, over a million people. Uh, it was a port city, and so it was a place uh, where people did a lot of trade. And uh, Thessalonica doesn't just appear in this letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Uh, In fact, we read about Paul's trip to Thessalonica in Acts. Uh, And in Acts chapter 17, uh, we get a a fair bit of info about what happened when Paul was there and when uh, he set up the church there. He goes there on his second missionary journey uh, and he preaches in the synagogue, we read, uh, for three three, uh, uh, Saturdays. Uh, and uh, before they kind of get sick of him. And, but in those uh, initial preaching, uh, he gets some Jewish converts, but we think mostly he gets the God-fearing Greeks, that is, the Gentiles in the city who were interested in the God of Israel 
uh, and who were coming along to the synagogue, but they weren't considered full members, essentially because they hadn't been circumcised. And you can understand, can't you, why if you're a Greek man and you've started to get interested in the things of God and they say, well, to become a full member, you need to get circumcised, you can understand why there was a little bit of hesitancy uh, to, to go to full membership. Uh, and so uh, there, was, there were a bunch of people uh, attending this place. Paul's come in and he said, guess what? We can all be included in the people of God now, not through circumcision, but through faith in Christ. And of course, that's very appealing to that group of people uh, and uh, to uh, some certain others too. Uh, we also read about a notable number of prominent women, significant women in the city who put their faith in Christ. And you can imagine, uh, we also read about a guy called Jason in Acts 17, who it seems was a fairly well-to-do fellow as well. You can imagine, you've invited someone into your church, he preaches and half, you know, a bunch of significant people put their faith in them, that, that you can understand why the Jews get a little bit upset. Upset about this. Jealous of the fact that uh, he has stolen some of their uh, members. Of course, they, he hasn't actually stolen them, has he? He's just fulfilled the faith and, and they need to get on board. But, but they're not. They, they respond with jealousy uh, and so they seek to run him out of town. And Paul has to kind of leave in a, in a hurry. So that's what's going on in this large port city uh, as Paul goes and he uh, preaches to the, the church. Uh, he le- has to leave in a, in a hurry and we know f- as we keep reading the story in Acts that he goes from Thessalonica, he goes into Athens and he preaches a rather famous sermon about uh, I see you worship uh, many gods and there's one here to an unknown god, let me tell you about that, that's Jesus. Uh, and then he goes from Athens into Corinth. Uh, and Acts chapter 18 tells us that when Paul gets to Corinth, Silas and Timothy uh, rejoin him, having been with him uh, as they fled Thessalonica. And we know when we uh, read chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians uh, that uh, Paul had sent Timothy back to Thessalonica when he got to Athens. And so uh, now Timothy has come back to Paul uh, when he's in Corinth uh, told him, hey, the church is going pretty well in Thessalonica. There's, mate, there's a couple of issues, um, but you know, all in all, things are going well. And we know that this then has caused Paul to pen this letter back to the church and say, hey, I'm thanking God for you, and here's just a couple of things you might need to work on. What's even more fascinating is that uh, in Acts 18, we read that Uh, Luke records the exact time in history when Paul's in Corinth. He tells us it was in Acts 18 verse 12 when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia. And uh, as historians and archaeologists want to do, uh, they've dug up all this stuff and found all these things and uh, they can date that to exactly the year, uh, from somewhere between exactly the year July 51 and June 52 AD. So we know that Paul has penned this letter in and about the year 51 AD. 
and, and like that's just remarkable, isn't it? That based on real history uh, and uh, the stories we have in the scriptures, we can figure out uh, when all this stuff in the life of God's people was really happening. And some scholars will argue that, in fact, uh, this letter is one of the first, uh, if not the first, piece of the New Testament ever penned. Well, why did Paul write it? Timothy's come back told him the good news, they're going all right, even though they've been suffering for the gospel. Uh, And there are just a few things that uh, they need some encouragement in. And we'll see those as we work our way through the book. Well, AD 51 was a pretty long time ago. Uh, And so you might be thinking, well, what's it got to say to us? And in fact, I think the answer is very much indeed. For Paul wrote to this small church in a large secular city. Depending on your perspective, you may or may not call Hobart large, but it's of similar size to Thessalonica. And this church was a church that was under pressure in that context. The the gathering of God's people in a place where uh, people ignored God. They were under pressure to conform to the ways of society. And Paul is writing this letter saying, keep strong in that wonderful faith that you have. Keep living holy lives for God. Do not conform to the world. Live lives that are holy, that set you apart from the world around you. And for Paul... The reason why they need to do that is in light of the second coming of Christ. They need to continue to shine brightly so that they'll be ready for the return of Christ, which is what makes 1 Thessalonians such a good book for this season of Advent that we're not quite in, but don't tell anyone we're starting two weeks early. So let's have a look at what he says in the opening chapter. First of all, uh, he thanks God for their faith, verses 2 and 3. And if you've got the sermon outline, you can follow along where we're going and you can see the scripture on the back there. Paul opens, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Here uh, we see first and foremost Paul's love and affection and care for those whom he has ministered to. He has the heart of a pastor for his flock. Paul often gets a bad rap of some sort of angry guy. But no, here we see his deep love for the people of God, continually thinking of and mentioning those whom he has discipled in his prayers. And whenever he does pray, we see that he prays and thanks God for their faith. Verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is so thankful to God for the way that the Thessalonians' faith is working itself out, for the, the, the evidence that their lives have been transformed through their faith in Jesus Christ. Because of their faith, 
they are doing all of this good stuff. Because of their faith, they are seeking to love those around them. And they're able to do all of this inspired by their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it wasn't easy being a Christian in Thessalonica. In fact, if you go and read Acts chapter 17 when you get home today, you'll see what happens to those first converts. They're essentially put in jail uh, and have to pay their own bail to get out. And yet they endure their suffering and continue to demonstrate love to the very ones who are making life difficult for them. And they're doing this because they've got their eyes fixed on Jesus. Well, I would argue that we don't have it half as bad as the Thessalonians did. And yet we ought to have our eyes focused on Jesus and be inspired to love and good works because of what Jesus has done for us. Not to get ourselves saved. That becomes pharisaical thinking like we saw last week when we were in Luke's Gospel. We need to be inspired to love and good works in response to what Jesus has done. I wonder if Paul would be able to give thanks for us in the same way. For the Christian who has truly understood God's grace and love will respond with a relentless effort to share his love and this good news with others. So Paul's very thankful for the Thessalonians and this faith. But lest they start to feel like they deserve special praise or somehow uh, uh, that, that they can uh, take pride in their faith, Paul reminds them this has all been a God thing. Verses 4 and 5. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. God loved them first. He chose them to be included in the life of the church. It is God who has opened their hearts to receive the gospel. It is God who is working this fruit of love to others out in their hearts. Paul knows that the Thessalonians' faith has been God-inspired because of what happened when the gospel was preached. Verse 5. Our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. When the word of God, the gospel, was preached by Paul to these people, it didn't just bounce off them. They didn't have closed ears. They didn't make up excuses as to why they didn't need to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Instead, they heard and they were convicted. I grew up in church my whole life. But when I was 16, I remember sitting in a campsite and I remember someone telling me the gospel for the first time, which is ludicrous, isn't it? Because there's no way that was the first time I'd ever heard the gospel. But it felt like it because that was the time when the word of God came with power and deep conviction by the Holy Spirit. All of us need a 
powerful work of God in our hearts and minds in order to respond with faith. If you believe in Jesus, that's a miracle of God. He has worked powerfully in your life. And if you want others to believe in God, your children, your spouse, your parents, your siblings, your uh, friends and neighbours, then they too need a powerful work of God. And God invites us to ask him to do that. To work powerfully in the lives of those we love. Uh, Part of the logic for trying to pray more as a church on Monday mornings and in prayer triplets It's not just that we pray for people who are sick or for the wars in the world or or all those things which are very good to pray for. But actually, it's that we would start to petition God to move powerfully in the hearts of those we love who don't yet know the Lord Jesus. When you form your prayer triplets, if you're going to join, join one and form one, make it about praying for those who don't yet know the Lord because the only way they'll come to know the Lord is when he works powerfully in their lives causing the gospel to come with conviction and power. Let's get praying for God answers prayers. He did it for the Thessalonians. He's done it for you and me. He'll do it for many more. Paul's thankful for their faith. He's thankful that God has worked powerfully in their lives. Next, he describes how the Thessalonians haven't just stayed with that first step of faith, but they've grown in their faith through uh, the, imitating their leaders. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, verse 6, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. We see God's hand in this again. But what we also see is that Paul and his companions, as they've not only preached the good news, but then as Timothy has come back and encouraged the church, uh, that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they've been helping this church to grow as disciples of Jesus. I mean, Paul is the master of joy in suffering and persecution for being a Christian. And this church was persecuted. We, we know about it because we read about the persecution in Acts 17 where uh, they, they, they're forced to kind of pay a, a, a bail to get themselves free again. Paul's been there. He's been in jail for the gospel. He's taught them how to rejoice in their sufferings, in the power of the Spirit, and they have learnt and copied these leaders who ha- have shown in the way of their living how to live more like Jesus. Well, we too need to copy others and learn from others and our leaders as we seek to follow Jesus. Discipleship, growing as a Christian, requires training and development. That's what this church service is designed to do, to train you and develop you and help you understand more and grow. That's why 
Uh, we have small groups and Bible studies to, to get together with one another and learn from his, God's word and encourage one another in your faith. Who is it that you imitate so that you can become more like Jesus? Scary question. Who is it that might be imitating you? Really scary question when you're the rector of a parish. For God calls us as leaders to be people who teach others how to grow as Christians. But when we do that, then we see that the work of those who have grown is to be a great example to others. So we see in verses 7 and 8 that Paul uh, thanks God because the Thessalonians haven't just stayed as baby Christians, but as they've grown in their faith and as they've learnt to have joy in suffering, they've become a model to all the other believers in Macedonia and Achaia, which is essentially Greece. Their faith in God, he says, verse 8, has become known everywhere. The Thessalonians are a great encouragement to the other believers in that place. And as I was reflecting on this, I thought, you know what? We can be encouraged by this. Because we're actually a great encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I get to go around to different things in the diocese uh, from time to time. And people want to hear about what's happening here. Because we are, a, we are like a typical Anglican church in the diocese of Tasmania. In that uh, we had a very aged population... But what's not typical is now that we, have, we don't. Our average age has dropped. We have, I mean, look at all the kids we had today. It's, it's, a, it's a miracle. God has done a remarkable thing in the life of our church as we've been obedient to him, as we've put down our personal needs and taken up the desire to make disciples of all nations of all ages. And that's a great encouragement to the saints of Tasmania and the Anglican Church who face a similar reality to us three years ago and who look to us and think, if they can do it, we can do it too. Be faithful to taking seriously the call of disciple-making and praying that God would work marvellously. So be encouraged. You are an encouragement I get to see it uh, because people ask me the story. But I don't for a second think it's got anything to do with me. It's about us and God. To be encouraged by that. Well, all this wonderful faith that God has worked so powerfully in the lives of the Thessalonians... Uh, this faith that's producing this love and these good works, this faith that God has worked powerfully in them that uh, has developed and grown as they've uh, followed the leading of Paul and now that uh, uh, resonates throughout the, the rest of the Christian community. All of this has happened for the Thessalonians, Paul says in verses 9 and 10, because they've kept their focus on Jesus and particularly on his resurrection and his return. Let me read verses 9 and 10. 
They themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from God to idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. As Paul came and preached the message of salvation, the Thessalonians and the church there gave them a warm reception because they saw Jesus. As they turned from their worship of created things, of idols, of things that they had put before God, and they turned to worship the living God instead. They did so because they saw Jesus. And now as they continue to work out their faith, their faith that we've uh, just seen that what Paul is so thankful for, they do so because they've got their perspective right. They're looking at Jesus. At his death for their sin. At his resurrection in victory over sin and Satan. And looking for his coming again. When he will rescue them from the coming wrath. The Thessalonians have never lost sight. That their salvation is real. They've been saved from sin. And they will be saved from the coming wrath. The good news that Jesus died and rose again for our salvation is wonderful indeed. But it doesn't end there. For Jesus will return and he will judge the world. And he will rescue those who have faith in him. And we will be spared from the coming wrath, as Paul puts it. We will spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. The second coming is so important, isn't it? It's the motivating factor for mission here and now. For we need to be saved from this terrible judgment day. And so as we reflect on the faith of the Thessalonians, as they've looked at his death and resurrection and his coming again to rescue them I want to ask you this question will Jesus return and rescue you if you've heard the story of Jesus of his life death and resurrection if you've heard that proclaimed if you know that that has worked powerfully in your life, just how Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. If you know that you are saved because you've responded in faith to the message of the gospel, then the answer is yes, of course. You will be saved. Jesus will return and he will rescue you. And you will know and we will know that that is a true thing, that you truly have been transformed, that the gospel has worked in your life with power because we'll see it. We'll see how you live your life now, transformed by your hope in what Jesus has done. We'll see the fruit of God's salvation evident in you. 
Will Jesus return and rescue you? I hope that many of you can say absolutely. But if you don't know, or if you think the answer is no, then today is the day to turn that unsurety or that no to a yes. Today is the day for a powerful encounter with Jesus where you turn from sin to salvation. If you want Jesus to come back and save you from the coming wrath, then all you need to do is simply come to him with simple faith. And if you're here today and you're not sure where you stand, I'm going to wait up the front here at the end of the service today and we can talk about it and you can give your life to the Lord. And we will see God work powerfully in you as he brings you from death to life and as you look with joy to him. Jesus is coming back. And he will save you if you turn from your sin and your idols and you live your life looking at him, serving him, rejoicing in him. Jesus wants to rescue you. Will you receive that salvation today? Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church, www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless you.